We are uh, thankful to you uh, for the word of God that, that it is so true if we are, are faithful in reading and not just reading but imbibing, in practicing your word, surely uh, you bless us, surely uh, uh, we will grow in spirit and, and in truth. And, and this morning, we once again thank you for uh, Pastor Lo Chi Ming and his many years of service in the kingdom, also many years of service here in PPH, and we pray for him, God, that you will anoint him, you will just energize him, you will fill him with the Holy Spirit, and he would be your mouthpiece, Lord. Teach us, encourage us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning. Glad to be here, able to share God's Word. And then we'll continue this series on Roots and Wings. Let me just give you an overview again, so that you know where we are going. Those of you who are following this series through the book, uh, you have seen this particular circle here. It's talked, it was uh, created by Edmund Chan, about as a Christians, when we want to grow, we need to see what are some areas that we need to, to know and to develop. Whether you are a one-year-old Christian or one-month-old, or 10 to 30 or 40 years old Christians, these are few eight areas that we not constantly need to develop and continually need to grow. The first area, if you can see, is about who God is. Uh, who God is in our lives. How much we know about God. That's what we're going to talk about today. And the second area is who is the master of our life. And third area is who am I? Who are we as an individual, as a human being? And we talk about also what am I called to do? What's our purpose in life? And then we talk about what's ultimate importance in my life? What kind of value system that will guard my life in the way I relate to people? And then we talk about what are the things that I must put first? What are the priorities in life? And then we talk about the wings. How can we take off? How can I be empowered? And finally, where do I, am I going to obey God's word? Putting it into practice, biblical foundations. For this um, series, this time round, we only cover four topics. We have finished two as an overview. And then we will be going into that again next year for the next four. Today, I'm going to cover the first part about this eightfold core curriculum. Let God be God. Let God be God. I'm reading a book, or I've read a book many years ago by A.W. Tozer. It's called The Knowledge of the Holy. He said this, What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's the most important thing about us. In other words, to, to decide whether a person's religion, a person's worship, is it pure or is it superficial? All we have to do is just look at the person's view of God. And this view is not about what the person say about God. I can say that God is great, but yet I treat God with irreverently. It, that, that's not what is the, the real perceptions here. It means what, how the person view God deep down in his heart. That's key. If we were to able to extract from a man and woman the complete answer to the question, what is the picture of God that comes 
from you deep down in your heart, we might be able to predict the future of that person. Why is it so? Why is it so? Because you and I, we are created in the image of God. God has placed His image in us. In other words, we can only find our true fulfillment, our true meaning in connection with God because God's image is in us. It's not about our own idea about God, but who God really is. And secondly, why is it so that it's important for us to have a clear picture of God? It's because God created us foremost as a spiritual beings, orientated in our physical body. Someone said this. I think it could be uh, C.S. Lewis. I've been searching around, couldn't find. Um, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. Soul here, what it means, it's talking about the spiritual being. In other words, first of all, foremost, we are spiritual being. Happen to be wrapped up in this physical body. That is why in the book of Ecclesiastes, it said that God has placed eternity in your heart. That is eternity, that is God in your heart. That is why the a true picture of who God is is going to determine our life. However, something negative happened at the fall, at the Garden of Eden. Something was reverted. Satan tempted Adam and Eve, challenged them to be like God, that they can be autonomous, they can decide their future, they can decide the reality. You do not, do not need God. And the result of this is that man's focus, instead of being connected with God about God, has been reverted. Man began to focus on himself. Men and women included, they want to be autonomous. They see first themselves as the main focus and secondly, they see themselves as only the physical being, physical beings with hope of a spiritual experience. But that's not true. You and I, we are foremost a soul with a spiritual being and then hoping or in reality, while on this earth, have the physical uh, body. But the good news is this, at conversion, in other words, when a person comes to the know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and transforms our life and to revert this, to revert this, to remind us again about who we are in God. However, even though the transformation takes place, the tendency to revert back because of the effect of the fall remains in us. Even as Christians, we can sometimes let ourselves, human beings, to be the central focus. Sometimes we begin to view our physical needs taking precedence over our spiritual connection with God. And our idea is more of a human idea about God and that God is meant to serve us. But in order for us to grow in our Christian life, we need to take roots to let God be God, to remind ourselves again so that we can soar. And I'm not talking about just hate knowledge about who God is. I'm talking about real convictions. And that's something that we can continue to grow no matter how old we are as a Christians. And today, I'd like to bring us to the book of Isaiah to focus about three or four key attributes of God to remind us again who our God is. I'd like us to turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 40.
Isaiah 40. Let me just give you some background. The book of Isaiah has been, is divided into two parts. The first 39th chapter. And then it moves on to the chapter 40. There is a turning point all the way to the end of the chapters. The first 39 books, basically he's talking about all the warnings. It's written to the, uh, to the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, warning them of the impending danger, the invasions of all the other uh, countries that God is going to use to discipline the people of God if they don't repent. So it's a lot of warning, 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 judgments. And then suddenly, when you go come to book of uh, chapter 40, there is a, a change, a new tone. The tone is more of a comfort. After God's judgments, after God's discipline, comes God's promise of restorations. Isaiah begins with these sections here. And it begins by reminding the people who God is. Recognize, help them to recognize, let God be God in your life. And he asks a lot of rhetorical questions. 17 rhetorical questions in these passages, in this passage here. And these questions are meant to make the people think about, question about the assumptions of God. Is it really who God is? So today I want to share with you four aspects about God to help us again to remind us, remind us who God is and let God be God. First of all, in chapter 40, verse 12 to 17, is that God's understanding is incomparable. God's understanding is incomparable. Therefore, our response will be, we should seek His wisdom and we can trust in His wisdom. Let me read to you. In verse 12, Who can measure the waters in the hollow of His hand? Or with the breath of His hand, marks off the heavens? Who hath held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weigh the mountains on the scales? Or the hills in the balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord and instruct Him? As his counselor, whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or show him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop of bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were, like, they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor animals enough for the burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. If you look at verse 12, it's interesting. Who can measure the waters in the hollow of the hands? Okay? If you want to measure water, you need certain kind of measurements. If too much water, you cannot. But to God, it's said here, he can, it's like in the palm of his hand. And then he marks off the heaven. He just stretches his hands. That's the Milky Way. That's the great galaxies. That's thousands of galaxies along cross over. He rest, stretch his hand. And then the dust, he can weigh in a basket. I was trying to find a picture and I found this. Next picture. I think this is a familiar picture. If God were to have a hand, this is how it would look like. It is, the earth is just so small. In fact, it is, in reality, it could be much, much smaller. What this verse is trying to say it's about our God. He has infinite knowledge. Verse 13 and 14. Talk about the infinite knowledge of God and the skill that God possesses to create the world. He doesn't need to consult anybody. 
when he created the world. If someone would ask the Lord, what's the quantity, how much, how many millions of, of liters of water, he can straight it give the answer without thinking, without need to giving, give, an, uh, give, without need to consult anybody. That is God's knowledge. If you were to ask God about guidance in life, what will happen in the future, He doesn't need time to tabulate. He can straight away give a comprehensive answer. That's His understanding. Compare it with human in verse 15 and 17. Humans are like nothing, mere drops of water. Even all the woods in, the, in, the, in Lebanon that was mentioned there is inadequate for the sacrifice. That's our God. But the fall of man causes us to think that, no, we are more knowledgeable than God. We don't need to seek God's perspective. And making, worst of all, making us demand to know why certain things are happening. Seeking an explanation for everything. And if you look at our lives, sometimes we seek God over a certain matter. But most of the time, we decided to do it on our own way. We only seek Him when in other words, we reach the, land, uh, the end of our road when we have nowhere to turn to, then we seek His wisdom. But our God's knowledge and His understanding is incomprehensible. He has a lot to say about various aspects of our lives. For students, if you are students here, what to study, why you need to study, this answer, you can find it in the Word of God. Those of you who are dating, asking who to marry, God has much to say. Some of us have marital, among of us are married, about husband and wife relationship. God has a lot to say about this. Parenting, relationships in our workplace with our superior, with our peers, with our subordinates, with our friends, including our work. God has much to say about this. He's, let God be God in these areas of your life. I'm so thankful that I have uh, mentors who helped me through when I was a young adult to encourage me to pray to seek the Lord's wisdom to decide who to date. There were, there were a few possibilities before Karen came. But I'm glad that I read the Bible and I seek His wisdom to help me to say no that ultimately lead me to say yes to a wonderful wife. That's Karen. I got to know her in this church for four years before finally I, I decided to pray and say maybe this is the one. I prayed for, I think, at least half a year and with people around. I seek the Lord I, and finally uh, the Lord led us together. And now we're married for 18 years and I never regretted that, that, that decisions. Same also somebody or maybe somebody bought it or my wife or myself two books that, that really helped me tremendously in my relationship with her as well as my relationship with my son it's this book called Power of a Praying Parent and Power of a Praying Husband I've been using the book as a guide to guide me to pray for my family and the book was, what was tremendous they have a lot of scripture passages that give me wisdom about how to deal with them, that how, and as the prayer, it gives me guidance. And because I know God is wiser than me, I'm, I'm encouraged to, to spend time to seek His wisdom. And 
many Sundays ago during Father's Day, uh, I'm sure you, are, you are remember this guy called Mr. Jason Wong. Okay, he here. He was here to share, and he shared about God's seeking God's wisdom in his workplace. Um, just last week, is it last? Yes, last week. You read about a paper. Singapore is number one in some something. What was it? Singapore number one. Prison. <laughs> okay. The prism system. The prism system was one of the top in the world. I remember hearing Jason Wong sharing. That was many years ago when he was still serving there. He was having a meeting together with all the leaders in the prisons. They were deciding how to renovate the, 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 the prisons. What? And the idea then, he was sharing in the message, basically is to contain and to confine. Limit, limit the interactions. The idea is how to contain and to confine. And it was and 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 during in the midst of the meeting, suddenly he decided that maybe he need to step a step back. Something is not right. And he began to spend time praying. He just seek the Lord's wisdom. And this, as he sought the Lord's wisdom, God brought to him his wisdom. That prison shouldn't be a place to confine. It should be the place to reform. And with the new idea, he came back to the to the to the meeting. He shared with them. It's a place of reformations. And they changed all their plans. It was adopted and there was a lot of area. If you read the article just a few days ago, you see tremendous there are places where they can they can play games, there's libraries, the opportunity for them to, to learn the computers, to prepare them, and then later on, again this idea of giving the prisoner the second chance, the yellow ribbon project. It was an idea birth from prayer seeking the Lord. He let God be God in his workplace and there was transformations. I'm not saying that all that happened to make the prison number one is because of him, but I believe God is interested. That is why when people seek him, he gave his idea and through him, he helped to transform what was, seems to be a dark place into a place where there's hope. God's understanding is incomprehensible. We can seek Him. And we don't have to demand rights to know, understand everything. Let God be God. How do we know that we have let God be God in this area of our life? It's the time, how much time we spend in seeking Him in prayer about key areas of our lives. How much time we spend in terms of seeking the Word of God as we look at our future. No matter how young we are or how old we are, what phase of life, what circumstances, God's words have much to say. He have much to say. The question is, do we seek Him? Or we want to seek our own wisdom? God is not saying that we don't use our brain. He has given human beings a lot of creativity. We sought after these things, helpful by all means, but we don't put our full trust in these things. There is still a time where we come before the Lord and we seek Him, seek His wisdom, seek His understanding because we realize that our understanding is limited. Let God be God in this area. Second area about letting God be God is that God is not any man-made God. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 18 to 20. Therefore, we need to come before Him reverently. Let me read to you, verse 18 to 20. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare Him to? As for an idol, a craftsman cast it, and the goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions 
silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for the skilled craftsman and set up an idol that will not topple. There's an irony here. Isaiah, he writes about two different idols made by two different groups of people. The first group, he made the idol. He's a rich man. He made idol to, with two craftsmen. He overlaid it with gold, decorated it very nice. And the other group is this poor guy. He has no money, so he go and buy, he go and find wood, a very good kind of wood, and they ask somebody else to fashion it. But irony is this both the material used by this idol maker, as well as the skills used to create all these things, are given by God, are created by God. But men still want to create something. He wants to create their own idea, idea of God. Why? Why? Because we want a God that can serve us because of the result of the fall. We become the center focus. So we want a God to serve us instead of we serving God. We want God to exist for our pragmatic purposes. And we don't want to be in control. We don't want to, to, be, to be controlled. We want to be in control. We sometimes go to the extreme of saying that God, you exist for my happiness, you exist for my enjoyment. With a handmade God, we decide, we set the terms, not God. We demand God to serve us, to, to solve our problems, to be ready at the back of our calling. And that's not what God is like. There is a hierarchy here that we need to remember. He is the creator. We are the created being. Mary, the mother of Jesus, have, have to learn this lesson too. For over 30 years, Jesus Christ lived as her son. He saw Jesus Christ grow up. Jesus Christ have yet to perform any miracle. And then, together they went to the, a wedding at Cana. What happened at the wedding? The wine ran out. The host ran out of wine. And there was a problem. And Mary came to Jesus. He says, they are running out of wine. With the idea, you solve the problem. But Jesus, in a very respectful way, reminded the mother, let God be God. I am God. You don't determine the timing. You don't determine my way. I determine my way. Gently let her know, but yet firmly, my time is not up yet. I am God. I decide, not you. And Mary learned that lesson. Later on, he said, that, tell the servant, you, you, you go to him. He will tell you what to do. He let, she let God be God. Therefore, when we come to God, sometimes we say that, God, I prayed for healing. Your word promised healing. How come no healing? You are not God. How come no healing? We want to question. And God, I place you first. I kept the Sabbath. I honor you. I don't want to work on Sunday. Why I'm not as successful? in my workplace. God, I am faithful in serving you. Why is there so many problems in my relationships with people? And sometimes we ask, God, you must solve my problem now. Now. But God wants to remind us 
Yes, He cares for us. He wants to help us. But you must remember this hierarchy. Let God be God. I am God. You are a created being. Don't treat me like a man-made God. Don't treat me like a man-made God. Therefore, we need to approach Him reverently. We are to be used by God rather than we use God. By understanding these hierarchies of relationships, we will find our greatest satisfactions and our needs met because our God is trustworthy. In Proverbs 14, verse 27, it says, The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. In other words, when we put this relationship in proper, uh, in, in proper perspective, He promised us fountain of life, healing, nourishments. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things, the things that we need on earth, shall be added to you. Why? We are created in the image of God. We are foremost a spiritual being. We find this life in God. And God is God in our lives. So the first perspective, let God be God in our understanding. His knowledge is incomprehensible. <clears throat> Secondly, He's not any man-made God. Thirdly, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Isaiah 40, verse 21 to 26. Therefore, we can relax or rest in His control. Verse 21 to 26. Let me read to you. <clears throat> Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and His people are like grasshoppers. He stretches the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, then He blows on them and they wither, and the whirlwind sweeps them away like the chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? says the Holy One. Lift your eyes and look at the heavens. Who, who created this? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Sovereign. What it means to be sovereign? To be sovereign means that he rules over the entire universe. He rules over the entire... To be sovereign, God has to be all-knowing all-powerful and absolutely free. Absolutely free. Isaiah started off with, do you not know? It is a very forceful question. Doesn't everybody know this? God is sovereign. He sits enthroned in the circle of the earth, in the horizon of the earth. You and I, we are like merely grasshopper. <clears throat> Have you all catch grasshopper? When I was small, uh, go to, to go to tuition, I had to walk through quite far, Butterbahat, very nice place, but you had to walk through quite far across the field. And being playful, as I walk across the field, I will see grasshopper, I will just pause for a while, and I will catch the grasshopper. Very, very small, very easy, just catch, catch, and then you, and sometimes if you want to be crazy, you just tie them up together and let them go. And Grasshopper, very small, and, and it can easily control. God say, you and I, we are 
grasshopper like. <laughs> can easily control compared to God God said I'm sovereign I'm sovereign over these affairs of the earth I'm sovereign over everything to the Israelites that are reading this chapter it is a great comfort to them why? because they are surrounded by the enemies when the time they read this later when the enemies first of all they deported the northern kingdom to Assyria and later on the southern kingdom to Babylon and these people when they are exiled as they read this it's a great comfort God is sovereign God is still in control and you and I is beyond comparison compared to him verse 25 and verse 26 And guess what? He's not just sovereign over the affairs of the world. He's sovereign over our lives. You and I, we do not choose where to be born, who are our parents. That's out of our choice. It's God's sovereign choice. But there are many areas in our lives that we can, have, we can decide on. And if you look back at your life, there are many areas in your life that you can be very thankful. Some of us are thankful for your health. I'm thankful for my health. I'm thankful for my, for my appetite. I can eat and yet still maintain. But one day, I may not be able to say that I can enjoy it while it lasts. Some of us are thankful for our friends, our jobs, the neighborhoods, our house, the church, opportunities in work in the place. But there are also events and circumstances and people in our lives that we wish that it does not ex- it do not exist you hope that it will go away it could be events could be a sickness could be a person could be a tough job could be the future and those times when we do not understand and we cannot accept well, how will you respond when we don't understand God's Sovereignty. We cannot accept God's sovereignty over our lives and over the world. We can respond by being worried. Why? Because we think the future is bleak. Or we can be very depressed. It's hopeless. Or we can be very bitter because God don't, the situation does not meet our expectations. Or we can panic because we lose control. Or we can be very bewildered because we lack of the understanding. But we have a God that is sovereign. He's in control. I die. In other words, relax. Things are under control with him. If you look at the life of Joseph from the Old Testament, <clears throat> he started off as a favorite son of his father. Later, he was betrayed by his brother, sold as a slave. And then he, was a, he served as a slave. He rise up. And then again, he was betrayed by the boss wife who um, accuse him, wrongly accuse him for attempt, uh, attempted rape. And he was put in prison. And in his prison, he interpreted dreams and people forgot about him. And later on, he was brought back, put up to the palace, to the Pharaoh, interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And his, rise, his life restored. And later on, surprisingly, he was restored back to his brothers and back to his father after many, many years. If you look at his life, there were many ups and downs. But you see God's sovereign hand in control. Instead of wallowing in self-pity, 
in depressions, in bitterness, in anger. He rested in God's sovereignty with confident trust. Therefore, if you know that God is sovereign, you can rest in Him. Let God be God. We don't have to always ask for a reason. When crises come into our lives, sometimes we feel that we have to write, God, you must tell me why. I must know why. Sometimes God says, no, wait. My ways are higher than your ways. I'm in control. Relax in me. Recently at the men's weekend, I shared this at the men's weekend, sometime in our lives, <clears throat> it's like reading a book. It's like reading a book. At a particular chapter, it's very interesting. And then at a particular, at chapter 3 or chapter 4, the main character went into a very deep, 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 deep hole. Big problem. That is if that he cannot get out of that, of that hole. But it is still at chapter 4. There is still six chapters more to go. God is in control. He is still writing the story of our lives. And some of you today, you might be facing difficult situations in your life. It could be a sickness of a loved one or yourself. As I mentioned earlier, it could be a particular individual or people or difficulties that you face in relationship with people, husband and wife, parent and children, colleagues, friends. Or it could be about your future, about your work. That is things that, hey, things are a bit uncertain. I'm not sure. Rest assured, you are still at chapter 4. There's still six chapters more to go. God is in control. Relax in His control. Relax in His control. So our God is beyond understanding. Therefore, we can seek Him and accept His ways. And our God is not any man-made God. He's God. Proper hierarchy. Come to Him reverently. And our God is in control. He's sovereign. Therefore, we can relax in Him. But if our God is only all this, then it's very frightening. He can be like a tyrant. Full control of life. Praise the Lord. That is the fourth aspect that Isaiah brings about. Our God is a God who is watchful over His people. He watches over you. He loves you. He cares for you. You are His people. Isaiah 40, verse 27 to 31. Therefore, we can hope in His care. Why do you say, O Jacob, Jacob and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And not faint. There were two assumptions about God that Isaiah brings up here. In verse 27, Why do you say, Jacob, and complain to Israel, My ways is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Two assumptions is that God 
does not see. My way is hidden from the Lord. Second assumptions, God does not care. My cause is disregarded by God. No, that's not true. God say, do you not know? Do you not know? In other words, you should have known all these things. God displays His care. Verse 28, He does not grow weary. He shows divine strength. His understanding is unsearchable. He shows divine wisdom. Verse 28. Verse 29, He gives strength to the faint. He shows divine care. That's our God. He still cares for the people of Israel. As the people of Israel, when they read the book of Isaiah, before their eyes, they saw their brothers, the northern kingdom, exile. They worried. Where is God? God assured them, I am still here. I still care for you. And then they begin to see their own people, the southern kingdom, Judah, exile. God said, I am still, I'm going to restore you back. And I'm going to restore you back. <clears throat> what happened at the Garden of Eden? Satan reverted. Satan put you at the center of the universe. You have to take care of yourself. God is not going to take care of you. You have to fend for yourself. You find your own security. You work out your own salvations. But that's not our God. That's not our God. Our life does not end here on earth. We continue on. He cares for us. And He looks at it in the total perspective. We may not get what we want, at this life, but it does not end with this life. God's care also be beyond just this life continue to provide us eternal life. We have an assurance of a heavenly Father who will take care of our needs. That's why we can, He can say, the Lord Jesus says, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But as we go through life, the trials of life beat, beat on us. We can grow weary. We can become weak. We can even stumble and fall, just like the people of Israel. The northern kingdom, they stumble, they fell. Southern kingdom, same thing. They stumble, they fell. We can be chasing after our own security, but yet God's promise remains. What did He say? He gives strength to the weary. Young men may stumble, but those who hope in the Lord some passages put those who wait upon the Lord, those who wait, will renew their strength, renew their perspective. They will soar like wings of eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. What does it mean to wait or to hope in the Lord? It is not passively, okay, oh, God, you take over. But rather, it is an active waiting to hear from the Lord, opening up our ears, our hearts towards the Lord, to give God to give us perspective. A time of reflecting what God has done in the past and what God has promised in the Bible and what God was going to do in the future. A time of depending on the Lord, of greater trust, and a time hoping with worship that God I may not understand. But I know you care and you will come through. A time where we wait upon the Lord that will bless us. Recently, I heard a message by Michael Ramsey. He's a is an apologist, uh, apologist. He mentioned a story from the book Shantaram, <clears throat> written by this guy called Gregory Roberts. It's, it is a semi-biographical, uh, bi autobiography book in the form of a novel. In that particular novel, he mentions this guy called Lin. I think Lin is a mirror image of the author. Lin is an Australian 
Australian, he, co- he committed a lot, a lot of crime in Australia. He escaped from prison. He fled his home and then he went all the way to hide in India, hopeful, hoping that the Australian government, government will not uh, track him down there. And in, in, and in India, he went to Mumbai. He committed a lot of crimes there. But while he was there, he, he mixed around with a group of people, uh, a particular dialect group. The people dialect group, they are very particular, they are very, um, they treasure their dialect. But this guy, instead of just learning Hindi, the common dialect, he learned their own dialect, this group, dialect group of people. And then he met a guide. And the guy was so impressed by Lin and said that you must come and meet my father. So he brought him to, to the village. He told his father, let me meet you, this guy. Everybody else, Indian, they are dark skin, but this guy is white skin. He said, this white skin guy, he speaks our dialect, the father don't believe. And then he talked to this guy and realized, wow, the father was very amazed by Lin because Lin can speak his local dialect. And then at night, they put down the mat and then they slept, sleep on the floor. Lin put off his mat and then he slept on his floor. And as he was lying down to sleep, the father came and the father squat down, fold his arm like this. Look over Lin. Lin opened his eyes and said, Excuse me, what are you doing? Right? Father said, Well, you are here without your family, without your wife, without your parents. I want to sit by you to keep you company so that you don't feel lonely. Lin said, no need, no need, no need. He said that. But the father insisted, no, no, no. If I were to go to your village, you would probably do the same thing for me. So with the, because of the father insisted, Lin said, okay, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try to sleep. I'll tell you. Thank you, thank you. So as he drifted off to sleep, the older man placed his hand on Lin's shoulder. And this is what he wrote in the book there. It was a simple gesture of kindness and comfort. But its effect on me was profound. A moment before, I had been drifting towards sleep and suddenly I was hard awake. It seems strange. It may, in fact, be impossible for anyone else to understand. But until that moment, I have no real comprehension of wrong I have done and the life I have lost. While I've committed the armed robberies, I was on drugs, addicted to heroin, in prison. I was too busy feeling punished to put uh, my heart around it. It was only there when another man's father reached out to comfort me did I see and feel the torment of what I've done and what I've become. I certainly knew how much crying there was in me and how little love. I knew at last how lonely I was. That night, Lin cried himself to sleep. He wakes up a total different person. What happened? What happened? At that moment, he experienced a caring father's love watching over him. He began to be aware about the bankruptcy of his life, about his need for the love. And that love transformed him. Unfortunately, in the story, then left that, that village, away from the influence of the father, he went back to the time, a life of crime. But you and I, we have a loving, caring, heavenly father who sits, not that squatting down, but if it's nice, if it's nice image for you, 
ready to embrace us, ready to reach out His hand to touch you and I, to watch over you and I. That's our God. Let God be the God of your life. No matter what tough time you're going through, no matter how difficult, how bleak, or how bright, it's always the assurance of that Heavenly Father reaching His hand to touch you. And today, I believe God wants to do that to some of you. He wants to bless you. I'm going to invite the musicians to come forward. As we sing the song, I'm going to give us a chance for us to, to respond to God. If you feel that you, there are certain areas in your life you need to know to have the assurance of God's caring with you, following you, I encourage you to come forward. Let us pray with you. In summary, I'd like to mention this. You and I, we are foremost a soul destined for eternity to be connected with God. Let God be God in your lives, in His understanding, in His relationship with you, in His sovereignty, in His watchfulness over you. Let God be God in your life and you will find the true fulfillment. So we're going to sing this song, How Great Is Our God. Again, I'll leave the altar open. If you want someone to pray with you, to have the assurance that God's still watchful over me, the Heavenly Father is still there for me, come, we'll pray with you. Let us rise. altar is open. You want to respond, people to pray with you. Please come forward.
in His name. There's power in His name. Name above all names. There's comfort, comfort in His name. There's power in His name. All upon the Lord, how great. Name of the Lord. How great. Let God be God in your life. the Lord and let God be God in all the areas of your life. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for today. You have reminded us about who you are. There are still a lot of attributes of God that God, you have yet to know or let to affirm in our lives. But today, God, we are reminded that your understanding is beyond human comprehensions. Teach us, Lord, to seek after you, to trust in you. That God, you are, you are not like any man-made God. It's impossible for us to create you you are God. We are your subject. Help us to submit to you reverently. And that God, you are in control. You are sovereign. There are things in our life that we cannot understand yet. Yet God, we can still rest in you because you are still in control. And then we thank you just like a loving father, earthly father. Much more you watch us over us. You give us strength. Therefore, help us to hope in you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for being such a wonderful God to us. Thank you for your reminder. Bless us, Lord, Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.